Ladies and gentlemen, I feel like I had to intro our first episode sounding like Fred Durst. I don't know if I nailed it or not, but ladies and gentlemen and non-binary pals as well, welcome to the POD cast. This is episode one of your new and I guess probably only podcast you listen to, uh, your new favorite new metal podcast. I am John Cullen. And I am here with a man who did it all for the nookie, Brian Quinby. Hey, that is one thing I'm not known for doing things <laughs> for. That's the only thing I'm not known for doing things for. I did uh, mostly drugs. But yeah, I did a lot for the nookie too. Did actually. you? Yeah, I know. I feel like even even if you don't actively try to do things for the nookie, you kind of do things for the nookie if you're just like a dude or a, or a lady. But just like I feel like as a man... You just, you do things. That's true. Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, if Fred Durst does a lot of things, I mean, he's <laughs> like, he is pretty obsessed with the, with sex on this album. And I just assume it's because he's like, uh, shit, sorry. He's a dumpy guy. Yeah. And like, he started getting famous and started having a bunch of sex. And yeah. he was just like, holy shit, this rocks. Yeah. Like, there's a, well, I'll, I'll introduce first. So, what we're doing with this podcast is going to be a once a month podcast where we're going to review a classic new metal album. And yes, before you get mad at us, they are fucking classics. Okay. And uh, we're going to review one classic new metal album once a month. It's going to come out for your listening pleasure. And this month we have chosen the seminal classic Limp Bizkit's Significant Other. And we debated back and forth about what we should choose because I think a lot of people would feel like the obvious choice would be Korn's self-titled album because that kind of started new metal. But we thought for both of us, this album kind of represented a peak of new metal listening. And so that's why we wanted to start with this one. Now, let's get back into Fred Durst finally getting laid because there's a uh, there's a... You know Russell Peters, Brian, the comedian Russell Peters? I do. Uh, yeah. I do. So my mom, my sweet mother, just assuming because I do comedy that I would like Russell Peters, bought me his autobiography for Christmas one year. Uh, bless her soul. Uh, it is not very good. And there is literally a, ch- uh, a line in it where Russell goes, uh, you know, he start, he's talking about how he's like famous. And he's like, yeah, it was pretty cool. Once I started to get famous, you know, more girls wanted to be with me, whatever. And I shit you not. He ends a chapter by saying that was the night I had my first threesome. It was great. (laughs) (laughs) It literally says it was great exclamation point and then moves on to a new chapter. And I feel like that this album is basically Fred Durst doing that, but for an entire album. No, he's doing it the smart way, though, where he's kind of like. Well, I'm having a ton of sex, but I'm not like enjoying it too much or anything. Right. It's fine. Like it's fine, but like, you know, I'm not getting like that much fulfillment out of it. <laughs> it's right. a very smart way to brag about how much sex you're having. Yeah, it's the classic Drake, uh it's the classic Drake thing of like, oh yeah, like how am I supposed to fuck this girl when like two hours ago I was fucking a different girl? <laughs> like, Man, this is real hard for me. Or or not hard as it were. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a crazy album. We're going to get into the album, but we, we, I I first think we should probably talk about, uh, why we love new metal so much as a genre, since this is episode one and you and I kind of connected because, uh, 
you know, obviously I host uh, blocked party, you host street fight radio. And we bonded uh, when you came on our show over new metal. And then I did a, a bonus episode of street fight and we, and we connected there as well. And I feel like we're just two brave men who are willing to say that we love new metal. And I, I think it's cool because you're, you're older than me by almost a decade. And so we would be coming at it from totally different times. So why don't you tell me and the listeners sort of what new metal was for you and kind of how you got into it? It's like, it's weird because like, so where I grew up, like uh, in, in middle school, you had to l- listen to rap music or everybody would make fun of you. Right. Like you couldn't like listen to rock music or metal or punk or if you wrote a skateboard, everybody would make fun of you. It was like only rap music. It was pretty much an all like, you know, 60% white school. It was just like, that's the way it was. <laughs> <You know? laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how it works. When your school is predominantly white, everybody listens to rap. We get it. <laughs> I grew up in so, the suburbs too, Brian. Okay. <laughs> so I, I moved, I moved on to rock music like in ninth grade because I f- think it was because I was attractive to like the alternative girls. Like that was right. basically it. It was like, I got to listen to like this same music that they're into. So I kind of got into like Nirvana and stone temple pilots and all that crap. But I was like, never really super into it. And then, uh, my brother, Went and saw Corn, Danzig, and Marilyn Manson. Well, not in that order. It was actually Marilyn Manson. No, Corn, Marilyn Manson, then Danzig. Right. And uh, this was about a week before I got my first paycheck from McDonald's. And as soon as I got it, my brother did not work. And he was like, you should buy that Corn CD because it's very good. And it was like actually the first time anything grabbed me. And it is like the thing that made me obsessed with music from the age of 15 on like I like corn grab. I probably listened to that first album exclusively for two years. And then I, the reason I picked Limp Biscuit here is, is because like significant other was like all, it was all consuming when it was about to come out. It was like after follow the leader, but like everybody was talking about it and they were like talking. I, you know, a couple of the articles I read even talked about like, this thing's going to knock the Backstreet Boys off the top of the charts. And it did. And we're going yeah, to and we're going to get to that. And I had been going to these concerts. Like I'd been going to see Corn and and Limp Biscuit in these very small venues, like uh 500 to to, you know, a thousand seat venues. And uh significant other was when it went to arenas. And like it just it's it's a pretty important album and like I followed them you know, you get to be about like 27 or something. And you're like, maybe I should broaden a little bit. And like <laughs> Deftones, like ended up getting me into Radiohead and I moved away from it. But over the past few years, it's basically all I, I'm listening to a lot of new metal now that I travel a lot. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And I think like I had a sort of a similar awakening and just like I like I said, I'm younger than you. I'm, I'm 33. So when Significant Other came out, I was 14. And for me, I got into it with corn, but I, I remember like, so my, I had a pretty good musical taste. Like I would say like grade four five, six, I was really into like Weezer and Green Day and Blink-182, like that kind of like pop punk sort of stuff. And I remember when I was in grade six, which would have been in 1996, uh, a buddy of mine had a corn shirt on and it was, uh, it was a classic, uh, corn shirt. You might even remember it. It's like three bottles of beer and they're like walking through a door 
and then the <laughs> and then the beer bottle labels say corn on it. And so this kid wore it to school and I remember like he kind of got in a bit of trouble because it had it was like clearly like beer bottles on the shirt. So I remember that's like bullshit, the teachers John. I hey listen. I just want to say that's bullshit. They they can't really say it's beer, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I, hey, I'm not the teacher in this scenario. I am a teacher now and if someone does wear a beer shirt, I tell them to go the fuck home. But uh it was like a weird thing where I remember he got in trouble and then I was like what is corn? And he was like, and he was like, oh, corn's a corn's a band. And I was like, that is the stupidest band name I've ever heard in my whole life, especially with like it's spelled with a corn with a K. I was like, are you shitting me? This is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of in my life. And he's like, oh, no, man, they're like a sweet band. And I was like, dude, there's no and don't I'm listening to bands called Weezer and Blink 182. <laughs> like, it's not like I was listening to, you know, like old school, like oh, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. Those are real band names. Like, it wasn't like I was listening to like really good music, but he just had those or like really bands with really good band names. And so I just heard corn and I was like, you got to be shitting me. That's not a band. So I just put it out of my mind. And then in 1998, Freak on a Leash came out. And, you know, it's really hard. I think people who are younger than us or people who didn't pay attention to new metal, I think it's hard for them to grasp truly how big it was. And I think you and I talked about this on the Street Fight bonus episode, but it literally, uh, you know, Total Request Live had to change their show because Got the Life and Freak on a Leash were being requested so much that they came up with the idea of retiring songs on Total Request Live for corn. Like, that's how big that was. So I remember Freak on a Leash came out. It had that amazing Todd McFarlane animated video. And I was like, oh, this is dope. This is the band that Craig had on his shirt. And Craig was always a cool guy. I was like, oh, maybe he was onto something with Corn. And then once I got a hold of Follow the Leader, then it was all over. And then I think exactly what you said. It was weird because New Metal didn't have a ton of bands. So it was kind of like... I got into follow the leader and then I just listened the shit out of follow the leader. And then I got into like <laughs> life is peachy and the self-titled album. But then it was like the only other band was limp biscuit. So you're kind of like, okay, well I'm into corn limp biscuits kind of doing that. And okay, those are the two bands I like. And I just, that's all I listened to. And so for like a good, like four or five years there, that was like legitimately all I listened to. And I remember when people that I knew fell off of Limp Biscuit. I never like I would always kind of be like, oh yeah, like that kind of sucks like to their face. But in secret, I would always be like, no, nah, but that <laughs> shit like rips though. Like it's pretty cool, you know? I'll say this. I, I like because I did go buy that the first album in 1995, like a few months after it came out. But like the thing that really grabbed me more than anything was being a dude that went to in eighth grade was like into hip hop and like NWA and stuff. And then like seeing corn, like I saw a picture of them before I bought the CD. We went to like a local record store where they would sell us the CDs a day before the release and stuff. And it was like this, like really cool, like older guy that would be like, yeah, this stuff's cool. He had a big poster of corn and seeing the picture of the guys was like, these are the coolest guys <laughs> I've ever seen in my life. Which like, I think if you and I both looked at those pictures now, we'd be like, how did we think this was cool? Like, it just I don't know. I will say that I still think that all these guys look cool. Well, Limp Biscuit is different. Corn looks cool, but Limp Biscuit, I probably wouldn't 
Limp Biscuit looks very uncool. Yeah, I, they I never will say they that. never looked cool. That's for sure. But I think, and we'll get into this. I I think it's like the band, like Limp Biscuit, the way they were constructed, like they weren't a true new metal band, really. Like they were Fred Durst and some guys that Fred Durst knew. You know, like it, it definitely felt more like the Fred Durst show than Corn ever did. Like I, I feel like Corn always had like unique. Like you felt like every guy had a unique personality. You know, it was like it was like Monkey was like kind of outgoing, sort of reminded you of like Kirk Hammett a little bit. Head was like the kind of quiet weirdo who had these crazy dreads. Fieldy was like a cool guy who wore sports clothes, and you're like, yeah, he's dope. David was like in the gym every minute you're like oh yeah he's just like a muscle head and then jonathan davis was like a creepy horror movie weirdo like they all had those distinct words like limp biscuit just kind of felt like oh fred durst has this personality and everyone else is just like and obviously west with the paint and everything but but yeah it was just you didn't you never felt that it wasn't the same my like my first encounter with them was I just saw I saw them open for Corn before they had an album out, and as we walked out, like Fred was handing out singles, CD singles of Counterfeit, Stuck, and Pollution. Amazing, we're on there, and there were demo versions of those songs, and we grabbed me and my friends each grabbed one because it's a free tape, right? Yeah, <laughs> and, of uh, course. We listened to that fucking thing for months before. $3 bill y'all even came out. Like, I think that, that, uh, at the time limp biscuit, the, and the reason I wanted to do this album first is like, I think at the time I actually probably liked limp biscuit more than corn. And I kind of thought they were a little cooler. And like, even just listening to this album, it's like, they are, I mean, for everything people say about Fred Durst, he does come off like very down to earth when you listen yeah. to his music. No, I agree. And I, I think what you're saying is really like, I think the thing that Limp Bizkit had was that they came after Corn, and there's always like a little bit of a, like, oh, this is like a cooler, better version of the thing I like. Right. And that happens with every pop culture thing, every type of music, every movie thing you know it's like oh they're doing this thing i really like but it's like kind of better and i do agree that limb biscuit always seemed way cooler like corn seemed like oh man like what do these guys even get up to in their spare time whereas like limb biscuit you're like these guys are fucking in their spare time hell yeah <laughs> right and when i started dating my wife uh i started dating my wife when i when we were 19 in 1998 when when this album came out and like she didn't like corn at all you know but she liked new metal she liked uh limp biscuit a lot she actually had like a crush on fred durst we used to very (laughs) weirdly this is a very weird thing that we used to do would, that we would never do now, but we would put pictures of people we were attracted to on the wall in our bedroom. <laughs> this, this is like we were together for one year and we were fucking idiots, you know? And Fred Durst was on your wall when you were fucking? She had Fred Durst on the wall and I had Christina Ricci on the wall. Very attracted to her. She yeah, was very sure. attracted to him. And that was like the whole we would be like, oh, you know, hey, well, I'll bet you love to like have sex with Fred Dirt. <laughs> She's like making you wear a red hat. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even wearing hats at that time. It was crazy. No, but she was like, but but like Limp Biscuit was also a concert 
they there were girls at. I right. know that like this gets this music gets a, a like a, an image for being very male, but like there were girls at Limp Biscuit concerts and there were girls at Deftones concerts, but there were not. You know, corn concerts were very much like just a bunch of dudes. You yeah, know? yeah. Corn was like the corn uh, was like Gamergate, but like twenty years ago. <laughs> Yes, yes. It was just <laughs> it was like those like kind all, of guys. <laughs> it was. It was all. Well, I mean, and I was super into them, so I can't like make fun of <laughs> yeah, the people that were too, there. Yeah, me too. Me too. I was just always like, I just remember even all my friends being like, "Man, there's gonna be like there's girls at these concerts. Can you believe that? Like, cause, you know, <laughs> yeah, of so course. Young, so yeah, yeah. Like, in Limp Biscuit was just like I think bigger and 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 uh, people were more willing to listen to him because Fred just looked like a guy. Right. Like he just looks like a guy. Jonathan Davis doesn't look like a guy. No, Chino yeah. from the Deftones is like handsome as shit. Fred is like the perfect. Just uh, if you were like to computer generate a guy. That would do the kind of music Limp Bizkit did. It would come out Fred Durst 100% of the time. Oh, for sure. Like, the fact that they're from Jacksonville is, like, the least surprising fact about Limp Bizkit. <laughs> You're like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, so let's get into the album. So the album we are reviewing today is Significant Other, which came out on June 22nd, 1999. Uh, So six months away from the millennium, it was released on Flip and Interscope Records, uh, and it peaked on the U.S. Billboard 200 at number one, and it stayed there for four weeks. It ended up months. Yeah, two months before I saw them at Woodstock 99. Yeah, there you go. Exactly. Yeah. So we'll get into Woodstock because I definitely want to hear about that. But yeah, they uh, they recorded the album. They released four singles, Nookie, Rearranged, In Together Now and Break Stuff. And uh, yeah, it's a it's a great album. We'll get into all that. We wanted to take a quick look at what was going on on the charts at that time, because it just gives you some context, because, again, I think sometimes you lose out uh, on knowing what uh, what was happening at the time. So Limp Biscuit went to number one on July 10th, 1999 uh, and stayed there for four weeks. And here, these are the other albums that were in the top 10 at the time that Limp Bizkit was number one. So the week that they went to number one for the first time, number two was Millennium by the Backstreet Boys. So you had alluded to that earlier, Brian. They literally unseated the Backstreet Boys at the top of the charts. Number three was Ricky Martin's self-titled album, Ricky Martin. Number four was the Wild Wild West soundtrack. Number five was the Tarzan soundtrack. Number six, Mirrorball by Sarah McLaughlin. Number seven, Baby One More Time by Britney Spears. Number eight, It's Real by Casey and Jojo. Number nine, Austin Powers, The Spy Who Shagged Me soundtrack. And number 10, The Real World by Missy Elliott. So one of those things seems a little different than all the rest, Brian. I got to say, I probably knew off of all those albums, six songs. But I knew all the songs on this album. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like, even if you say Millennium by Backstreet Boys, like, I can name five Backstreet Boys songs. But if you're like, what albums were they on? I'd be like, fuck you. I have no idea what <laughs> albums they're on. And like Ricky Martin, did he have another song other than Live in La Vida Loca? And then so many soundtracks, like the Tarzan soundtrack from Disney. Like, who the fuck was buying that? 
Was that like I mean, a, was that Phil Collins? Was that the one that had like Phil Collins songs on it? Maybe oh, I um, thought that was uh, Lion King. No, that was El- Elton John. I think was uh, Lion King. Uh, let okay, me, let so me it see. Was probably Phil Collins. Yeah, I, it I was. gotta ask because you were younger than me. I was a little like aged out of uh, Tarzan. <laughs> no, not Tarzan. <laughs> Feeling at war with those other acts like by that time right. like that casey and jojo album like i liked songs off of it because oh, i was out of high life. school i wasn't like mad as hell at people for liking music right. that i didn't like right yeah you were had... you at war with people about yeah, this stuff definitely yeah I'm, I'm just picturing you having sex with your wife to all my life by casey and jojo but she's imagining you're fred durst it's a real <laughs> 1999 <laughs> smorgasbord going on here um, uh so first to confirm yes phil collins it was that one the tarzan it was like the you'll be in my heart it's like that one was the big single on the tarzan soundtrack and you're welcome everyone for me singing uh, i would have like changed the channel as soon as that came on. <laughs> yeah, i would have oh, never sure. heard that song no and <laughs> so yeah so to get back to your question definitely there was a sense of yeah like pop music sucks ass i can't listen to this no self-respecting person would listen to this i'm so badass you're not badass like i mean i was like five two and i weighed 84 pounds and i was whiter than snow both the rapper and the weather event and it was just like so stupid like I totally thought like I was so badass and it is actually really interesting when you said people didn't wear hats like I actually feel like in some ways Fred launched the new era hat like I because I no one wore those you just wore like shitty dad hats or like trucker hats that you bought for five dollars like I feel like Fred kind of ushered in the like yeah wearing like a ball cap is like cool and you should do it even though at that time the hats were like 20 bucks now they're like 50 but I just totally remember like that being a big part of the zeitgeist. Like if you liked Limp Bizkit or you liked corn or whatever, you were not allowed to like other stuff. And I think that stayed with me for a really long time. Like I think that like, even as I started, cause I had a very similar trajectory to you where I kind of went like new metal. Then I went to like screamo and then like Deftones and then uh, and then into more like indie, like I got really into like elbow and Radiohead and British indie like that. And even then, like I started to think I'd hear pop songs and I'd be like, this is good. But I would outwardly be like, this is shit. I know. You know, that's a funny thing, because I think I liked those songs, too, like those Backstreet Boys songs and stuff. I even remember being like. When that Britney Spears song would come on, Baby One More Time, or any of her songs, I'd be like, don't change the channel, she's hot. But I like also <laughs> liked the song, you know? Yeah, exactly. But you couldn't admit that. So it had to be like, I just want to have sex with her. Like, oh yeah, she's so <laughs> she's so hot in that red jumpsuit. Meanwhile, like the rest of the day, you're like, oops, I did it. Like it's just stuck in your head all day. You know, and you're like, oh yeah. But yeah, but you, for sure. It was a war. Really- it is it is weird, like, because uh, my kid's a teenager now, and, like, uh, you know, they all, like, kind of, it is back to almost, like, monoculture in a weird way, yeah. where, like, I only, teenagers all seem to be listening to the same shit, but, but when I was in high school, uh, we would fight over, you know, if somebody, I remember, like, work at, I worked at Chuck E. Cheese, 
And I used to just fucking scream at the guys in the kitchen for listening to Smashing Pumpkins. Like, that wasn't hardcore enough for me. Right. And I hated it. (laughs) Oh, totally. Yeah. And I mean, that's a relatively like heavy band, like over like in the grand scheme of things. Like when you look back on on what they were doing. But yeah, I totally sympathize with you on that. Like, I definitely feel like it was you. You it just it had to be one or the other. Like, even if you did like it in secret or whatever, it just you couldn't you couldn't put that on your on your sleeve. You know, it was almost like, um, you know, there are people who feel like if you cheer for a sports team, uh, like very fanatically, you can't like a player on another team, you know, like, (laughs) like obviously it's given that like, you know, if you love, uh, green Bay, then you hate Minnesota. Like that's a given, but like, it feels like you're, you're not even allowed to be like, Hey, I really like Dalvin cook though. He seems like a cool guy and he's like a good running back, whatever. It was almost like that. It was, it was like, well, I like Limp Biscuit, so I can't admit like I like this one song by Britney Spears or whatever, because everything in that realm is just, you just can't listen to it. And I had to tell everybody, you know, like it had right. to be. And it's funny too, uh, just even like thinking about 1999, 98, it, it, like I'm 18 and 19 years old and, and, you know, we're having parties and people are coming over and like, New metal is like really bad party music. <laughs> really, really bad to just play at a party. 100%. But we were always demanding, you know, li- wow, we're going to listen to uh, Nookie. That's a good one, right? But it's like, yeah, but like rearranged is not something you want to listen to at a fucking party, you know? <laughs> I'm just imagining like, uh, yeah, because like Nookie's got a pretty good, you know, and then break stuff comes on and people are like, oh, yeah, okay. And then it's just like, and then you're like oh this is i'm sad now this is a real bummer you You really slowed this vibe down you didn't turn this music on at a party it was for concerts and it was for being alone and those are the (laughs) only two things you use this music for oh for sure and i think like i I talked about this on on street fight and and i'm sure we're going to get a little bit more into the the nitty-gritty of the actual album but just generally speaking like I, i think that i felt like my life was really hard like and it wasn't at all like i grew up in a relatively affluent suburb i went to a school that was mostly white i had a good i got straight a's i played hockey i played baseball i had a good life my parents were together i have a great relationship with my sister and i would just sit and jonathan davis would be like i got raped by my stepdad and i'm like yeah, man, I feel you, dude. Like we're I, we're going through the same shit, man. <laughs> I, I was the same. I was sort of like, I was a bad kid, and like my parents weren't like around much, and they didn't pay that much attention to us. But like, uh, I, I you know, the more I talk to people, the more it's kind of like, oh, uh, yeah, you know, like my Brett, my partner on the podcast. You know, we've been you know, having these long conversations for years just on, on the show. And like, he was basically the same way. Like his parents just weren't paying attention to him and he was kind of just doing what he wanted to. And I was the same way out smoking and doing drugs and just like, just whatever I wanted to do when I was a kid. But like, I, I did like listen to this music and I think I, I still don't like my parents because of this music. <laughs> I think it has painted the way I feel about them by 
like my whole life because it was hearing dudes say like Jonathan Davis especially, but but Fred Durst, he 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 didn't say it as he didn't say these things as much. He he, he had different themes, but like. Jonathan Davis like made me feel like it was like okay to hate my parents and Fred Durst yeah. made me feel like it was okay to hate everybody else. Totally. I think yeah, cuz I think with Limp Biscuit it was more of a lifestyle thing. Like with Jonathan Davis it was it, with Corn it was a uh, like very specific. Like this is what happened in my life. This is why it was bad. You might find some solace in this as well. Whereas like Limp Biscuit was like we're the coolest people on earth. And if you like us, you are also one of the coolest people on earth and everyone else is a piece of shit. It was more of like a lifestyle thing, I think, than a like prescription for how to live your life. But I think what you say is so perfect. Like I can totally remember, you know, just a simple thing like, oh, I forgot to take out the garbage. So my parents got mad, like, and not even mad, just like, hey, why didn't you take out the garbage? Like you should have taken out the garbage. And then like, going off to my room, slamming the door and like putting on like, you know, good God or whatever and being like, yeah, like my parents do suck ass. Like what a bunch of bitches, you know, like it was just such a weird, it was such a weird thing. And I I do agree that it it almost in some ways gave you a license. And I think for me, Limp Biscuit, like moving on to to significant other, I think especially like $3 bill y'all, I think was maybe a little bit more corn influenced. Like it felt a little bit more gritty and there was a lot of like breakup vibes on that album and a lot of like, you know, you suck and I'm, and I'm trying to get over this and significant other really felt like this is totally like a lifestyle album. It's like, these are cool songs about how it's hard to be famous and that sucks ass and being famous isn't as cool as you think, but like it is also still pretty cool. Like I'm having a lot of sex and doing drugs and it's great. Fred Durst. Here's what happened. Fred Durst. And, and I, I'd have to look this up, but I'm, I'm fairly certain they toured with Deftones sometime between $3 Billy all and significant other. Right. Fred Durst heard Deftones used the same producer that they used on yeah. a lot of their early Terry stuff Date. too. Yeah. And basically was like, this is our Deftones album for sure. Like, <laughs> which is so funny, but yeah, there was like, cause I was reading this and it was like some really interesting quotes. So like Wes Borland talked about Terry dates production and said, he doesn't get overly involved in the music end of things. He's a producer who fools with sound and sonically makes everything perfect. He gets sounds that translate really well on tape and pretty much completely captures what we do perfectly, which I think is like really interesting that, yeah, that that's what they were looking for is like, make this album sound crazy good. And I think too, there was another quote I saw where Fred Durst was basically talking about how when significant other came out, it made him feel like $3 bill was like an album of demos was how he described it. He's like, I don't, he's like, I don't even want to listen to it. He's like, I don't want to play the songs live. He's like significant other is what we are about. $3 bill. Y'all is like a different thing. Well, I mean, there was that rush, right? Like in the early days of new metal, this, you might not have noticed it because you were younger, but like Ross Robinson was the guy that, that was producing all of those early albums with corn. He produced, I believe $3 bill y'all. I yes, think he, he also did Sepultura roots and uh Deftones were so different and they were using this different guy. 
and uh i i like that's what broke them apart this album does i don't know like a lot of people like three dollar billy all more and uh i probably do too because it just was like the first time i'd heard them you know yeah. like it, it reminded it, it it's nostalgic for me but this album it this does shit does sound good this actually sounds very good in a way that like in the same way like white pony does in the same way that around the fur does or or, or like a, a pantera album or something like it's clear it sounds right it just like fred durst is the thing that makes it seem very off i guess <laughs> well yeah like, he doesn't have the same no skills as like it, it's weird it's like if you took a punk band i think if you took a punk band and you cleaned everything up about the production and you hired like some super producer to do it that's what this album sounds like to me yeah no totally i think like i've often said this to people that and people roll their eyes because they don't know anything about new metal. And also they think it's ridiculous that I even have this opinion. But like for me, Fred Durst is like one of the smartest people in music history, period. Like he has almost no talent. Like if you look at the lyrics to this album, they're so bad. He's a, (laughs) he's a bad rapper. He's a bad singer. Uh, and he clearly like, uh, was like marketing wise, extremely savvy. Like it was really interesting. We're going to get into uh we're going to do a segment where we read some, some news articles from the time period. And uh, in that piece, he's, he's like there, the, the way the piece starts off that I'm going to read uh, he's directing the nookie video. And he's like telling all the dancers, the female dancers in the nookie video, like how to dance. Like, yeah, do that move. Don't do that move. Do this. Don't do that. And like, I think he really, you know, he really got it right as far as that stuff goes. And he just surrounded himself with unbelievable players like Wes Borland is for me by far the best new metal guitarist. Like it's not even close. And then I think that John Otto, like they literally pulled him out of a jazz program at a fine art school to play drums. And you can hear it. Like I haven't listened to this record cover to cover in a long time. Like, man, is he ever a beast drummer? Sam Rivers is crazy good on the bass. And then you have like DJ Lethal, who's in a very famous rap group before he gets into Limp Bizkit. So you have his like cred and him kind of lending his advice to things. And there was an interesting quote I saw from him. And he said that Fred Durst reminded him of Everlast when he like first started working with Everlast. He's like, which is a weird comparison. I know like you're comparing him to everlast and that's supposed to be really positive but he was just yeah. like he was like this guy just gets it like he gets what music is about and like what people want and what they like and i think it's just it's just it is crazy but uh, like how well fred scouted his band and made it work even with people like Wes borland clearly hated every minute he was in limp biscuit but like made it work you know like when you're listening to this album the production on just like this, like when that guitar line hits in the beginning, you're like, it sounds so good still. I mean, we're 20 years later talking about it. The production on that is perfect. Like to me, it just pops out of the speakers. You're like, oh my God, this sounds so good. He's, he's also like, was very smart about, I don't know, like starting the album by saying you wanted the worst, you got the worst. And like on the tour before it, climbing out of a toilet on stage <laughs> and stuff. Like that stuff is like, that stuff is really smart. People still use 
that sort of tactic today to be like, yeah, we're garbage. We stink. And then like, you know, then you, whatever you do surpasses the expectations. Totally. Totally. And I think that's exactly right. And I think that speaks to what you were saying earlier, where Fred comes across as this like weird everyman, but like cooler somehow, like he's not really doing anything that's any cooler than anyone else. Like he's wearing baggy pants like everyone else. He just normally wore like white t-shirts or like t-shirts with deftones or corn on them. Uh, and then like a red hat. Like it wasn't like he was doing anything that was so where you're like, this guy is so cool. Like he just had this everyman charm where, where maybe some of it, like, I didn't feel this maybe because I was 13 and I was kind of also scared of their popularity, but like uh, he, maybe he just had this thing. And, and again, maybe you can speak to this being a little bit older where maybe everybody thought like, Oh, like maybe I could be the lead singer of this band. (laughs) I I mean, yeah, I could see, I I could see people thinking that I, I, I think like, uh, I did think I could be the lead singer of a band at the time. (laughs) And I did think that his writing, like I I never thought he was like a very good rapper or, or or writer or anything. It was always kind of like, I could do this, but uh, also he was, he, I don't know. Now that I kind of do things like in entertainment, like I realized how smart the guy was and how he was like, he did kind of all the right things to 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 get huge. It, it it's amazing that he got as big as he did. But I think Fred Durst was always going to kind of make a living doing something, it, it, even if it wasn't music or if it wasn't Limp Biscuit. A, a guy, he's like charismatic dude that seems to understand people and understand what people want. So, well, I, I think th- he he could have done anything for sure. No, I think that's a good point. And I think too, like one thing that kind of comes out of this time period. And even now that he's like a director and stuff, everyone says like, yeah, he's just a great guy. Like you like being around him. Like he's just a good guy. He treats people good. And he's just a good dude. And like, you, you can kind of get that. Like, even though, and, and I think what you said is true about, they really leaned into people hating them. Like I went to summer sanitarium in 2003, which was Metallica, Limp Bizkit, Lincoln Park, Deftones and Mudvayne. And that was like right around the time. And I'm sure we'll get into this later in the history of our show. Uh, when we do a later Limp Bizkit album. Uh, but you know, the, the backlash against them was massive. You know, like they, they just, they hit a time period where all of a sudden they went from being like the most cool band to like the least cool band on earth especially to people who like metallica and so like they were they were they w- had the spot on the lineup right before metallica lincoln park were just getting big so people like loved lincoln park and they had an amazing set still to this day like one of the best sets i've ever seen uh by a band and then limp biscuit came out and people booed them onto the stage like l- straight up booed them and fred was like yeah, you hate us now, but I guarantee you by the end of this set, you're going to be dancing and having a great time and just like fully leaned into it, gave the audience the finger was like, fuck you. Like, let's get it going. You hate me. Take out that energy in the pit. Like, let's do this. And he was true to his word. Like by the end of the show, people were into it. Like they were loving it. Yeah. I never saw the guys put on a bad show ever. And I, I, I actually like right before significant other came out, I got to see them perform like like the last show of a tour they did in Columbus at this very small venue 
The one that uh, Dimebag Daryl got killed at, actually. Oh, but he, <laughs> cool. This was pre Dimebag Daryl getting killed. <laughs> but uh, they performed there, and all they did was covers. And they did like Hound Dog by Elvis. They didn't play any Limp Biscuit songs. That's wild. I went fucking crazy for it. Like, didn't care that it was all covers and no yeah. Limp Biscuit songs. Because then they didn't the have guy- to listen to Fred's lyrics. Yeah, that that is true. They yeah, and like hearing them do like like hearing them do Hound Dog by Elvis. They played Faith and they played like uh I can't remember all the songs, but it was it was fucking incredible. And it was like uh a lot of times you know, you would go see these bands and people expected to hear certain things and if they didn't get them, you know, they'd be pissed. And and like having the guts to go up there and do something that you know might piss people off is always very cool to me because I'm terrified to do something like that. <laughs> You're like, I need the love and adoration of my fans. Right. I have to be the good guy no matter what. Like, I have another guy that stands on stage with me to be the bad guy so that <laughs> I always look like the good guy. I feel like I'm the bad guy on the POD cast, and I'm fine well, with that. I mean, I'm the bad guy on block parties, so this is like a good... <laughs> we're like a good combination of... We're the good guy and the bad guy of our respective shows. Yeah, you pick a good. I mean, I, 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 I have to be liked, basically, because <laughs> my my skin is so thin. Which Fred Durst has thick skin, you know. And and I wanted to say, Entertainment Weekly. I did read Entertainment Weekly's review okay. of Significant Other. I wanted to. There's a parenthetical in there that I wanted to read because the backlash had kind of already. The backlash had already started almost on new metal by this time. Mm -hmm. This guy says, as harsh as this may sound, you can't help but think that Dylan Klebold and Eric Harris may have been huge Limp Biscuit fans, (laughs) which is a fucking crazy thing to say, because I can help thinking that, first of all. (laughs) 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 Yeah, like I it's funny, like looking at the reviews of Significant Other. It's really across the board. Like some people really seem to get it. Like even like Robert Criscow like liked it kind of. Um and he hated everything and like um you know there's some really good reviews like uh you know Rolling Stone gave it three and a half, all music 4 out of 5. But then like NME gave it 3 out of 10. Uh you know, so it just like it just totally depends on on how people were receiving it, I guess. But yeah, like I I think it's one of those, it's definitely one of those types of music. And I feel like, um, music is kind of going through that right now with, like you say, a lot of the pop artists all kind of sound the same at this moment in time. I think it just depends on whether you get it or not. Like in that moment, like, or you know, people, people were either predisposed to like this or predisposed to hate it. It's like, I, I can't mean, see there being an in-between with Limp Bizkit, especially. This stuff, like, really was for, like, very young, angry suburban men. Like, I, for I sure. never thought that when I was a kid. You know, I, I would read that that critique and spin and Rolling Stone, and it would piss me off. And I think it might have been because I didn't think I was angry at the time. I, th- I You know, I thought I was, like, kind of a fun-loving guy. But, you know, at some point in your life, you figure out, fuck, I am like a really angry person. And I've, I've kind of changed. But that shit took me until I was like 35 years old to figure out. Right. And, and like this music was for 
this music was for a very specific kind of of anger and uh, I can understand if you're like a 40 year old music critic hearing something like this being like, all right, come on, this is bullshit. I don't like this at all. Oh, for sure. Like it, to me, it almost feels like Post Malone now, you know, like because yes. Post Malone talks about how he loves new metal. And I feel like it's kind of the same thing. Like a lot of critics are like, well, what? Like, what even is this? Why is this popular? Like, this isn't even really belonging to any one genre. This guy's clearly a good singer, but his lyrics suck shit. And he has a bunch of tattoos on his face, which I can't trust. And like, it's just this weird. And it feels like the critique of Limp Bizkit or Korn or any of those bands around the same time. And I feel like Post Malone in some ways would be similar like that. He's you know, geared more towards like young males. It's a lot of the, like, it sucks to be famous, uh, kind of, um, you know, lyrical bent. And it's definitely something where, yeah, he has a lot of haters, but doesn't seem to care. And is just like, yeah, well, this is what I do. You either like it or you don't. And that's fine. Um, but yeah, it just, it is truly like as an adult, when you like look back on it and you're like, yeah, I was very angry and you'd have to be, to like even just a song like break stuff where you're like, okay, like, yeah, th- like I still like that song. It's still fun to me, but I mean, you know, the chorus is just give me something to break. I'll hack <laughs> your fucking face. I, I, I you mean, know, like I know it's like kind of parody, but at the same time, like to, to listen to that and be like, hell yeah, this whips ass. You had to be a little bit of an angry person. I think I think I held, I mean, like, I was going to a lot of concerts back then. It was basically like once a month, a new metal band would come through. Columbus was kind of like a hotbed for new metal. There was like 15 local new metal bands. Hell yeah. Plus, like, all the other bands. I mean, dope, like, new metal bands still come. Dope still comes through Columbus, like, very <laughs> regularly. You know? It's, yeah, yeah. it's like still a hotbed. It's like, where are the places in America that are still into this? Yeah. <laughs> Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And and like I would I I would get in that pit and uh I know cuz I used to I I remember in English class writing about how I felt in the mosh pit and like how I felt like I was just getting everything out of my, out of me my my voice was hoarse the next day at school and I was sleeping or skipping and like I was sore and like I, I would go crazy at those shows. I, I, in in hindsight, now it's it's crazy that I thought I wasn't an angry guy or or, or that kind of thing. But but uh, you know, it's the same thing. Guys think they're all good guys too. You know, oh, I'm you know, girls don't want to date me because I'm too nice of a guy. And it's like, yeah, you're probably not like a very nice guy actually. Right. If you say that, yeah, you're like I'm a nice guy, but you're singing along to the song that Fred Durst clearly wrote just to get women to flash him at shows. Yes, like exactly. show me what you got. Woo, yes, woo, you know? oh my it's god, like, that one. It's so bad. I mean, it's just really like. I I think about like in together now is such a good example of Fred, you know, like the fact that number one, that it was a single and that like method man is very clearly absolutely mailing this in. I mean, it is just, you can tell method man has no respect for limp biscuit at all. Now that and, is a song. Sorry. I, go I, ahead. I, that song has like a heavy, 
but as I like to say, that song has a heavy amount of psychology to it to me. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, we'll get into that in one second. I just okay. want to say, yes. like, to me, Method Man is wrapping absolute circles around Fred Durst. Like, there is just no way you could listen to Fred Durst's verses on this and be like, man, that guy, talented dude. But Absolutely. Tell me more about, because you texted me this today. You're like, I've been looking at some of these songs and like, I think there's some psychology here and I would really love to hear how you <laughs> I <laughs> interpret mean, in that. Together now, I feel like in together now is the perfect peek into Fred Durst's mind <laughs> in 1997, 1998. Like he knew this fucking album was going to be huge, right? Like definitely because they had the faith had hit uh, TRL and it was an enormous hit. They were bigger than Corn. Like Faith was on TRL before Corn ever hit TRL. Right. It's like the first new metal song to make it, right? And uh, he was just really feeling himself. He was really thinking, like, I am fucking great. So what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do a rap song with the best rapper in the world right now. And, uh, you know, I'd probably be able to hold my own. What the hell? (laughs) (laughs) What do you think about the hubris that it takes? Like, nobody wants to look. I would never want to look like him in that song. Like, I would never fool myself into thinking, oh, yeah, I could probably, like, rap as good as Method, man. That's not a problem. I'd just, like, do a song with him, you know? Yeah, and then Fred writes lines like, uh, get the sunblock you get in one shot until you dissolve. I revolve around everything you got from out of nowhere. Prepare. You'll be blinded by the glare. I told you not to stare. Now you're turned into stone. Right. Like Medusa, <laughs> and, and, you know. Yes. And, and <laughs> let me say also, I feel like he paid Method Man like a hundred dollars every time he said Wu-Tang and Limp Biscuit like together, yeah. <laughs> yes. which I would do too. Actually, I, I, I'm like not against that at all. Well, yeah, especially like the fact that the, that the outro is like him being like Wu-Tang kill a bees and the limp B I Z K B I Z K I T like, yes. just, you know, Oh, he's spelling it out. This is cool as hell. Yeah, I, it's I, like a good song, but it, it is a great like the beat is awesome. It's a great song, but like it's not at all a good song, which I guess is how you could describe every Limp Bizkit song. <laughs> it's rap music <laughs> fantasy camp. Yes, exactly what that song is. It is like just a dude who thinks he's at the top of his game and who really thinks he's great that wants to mix it up with the person that is like actually at the top of his game and is really great. And was like one of the most respected guys out at, at that fucking time, you know? Oh, for sure. And having DJ premier do, do the beat. And, and like that, that psychology is only matched by him in another song deciding that he's going to sing with Scott Wilde. <laughs> yeah. He's like, let me find the best rapper and the best singer in this genre and just, hey, bring them on in. I Yeah. It would be like if uh, <laughs> it's like uh, Post Malone's like, hey, you know what? For my next album, I'm only doing two features on the whole album. One, Kendrick Lamar two Adele. Let's just let's rip it up. Let's let this go. 
I mean, no awareness, no none, zero, none, zero, like that of what it looks like at all from outside. Which, granted, at the time I didn't know what it looked like, but as a forty-year-old now, and I look <laughs> back on them, I'm like, oh, he should have really probably thought about what this looks like. I think what I okay. Here's my take on it. I think that he just didn't care. Like, I think it was just like, yeah, Scott Weiland is a way better singer than me. Method Man is a way better rapper than me. But guess what? Scott Weiland and Method Man are on my fucking album. So who cares? <laughs> right. Like, because yeah. I think at that, because it has to be that, right? Like, there's no way that, like, I, one of my favorite quotes of all time from all of new metal, from anyone in new metal, I remember it like it just sticks out clear in my mind. It's from a corn concert video and fieldy is talking to the camera and he says these words he says the best singer in the world is in my band and i was like are you you have to be absolutely shitting me if you that who then now by by yeah i I, I can't remember if it's who then now or um deuce that came after i don't remember but it was just he he literally speaks into the camera and he he's like, yeah, you know, it's pretty cool. Like, cause they, the way they did the video and it, maybe it was who then now I don't remember. It was like, there was a part of it where it was like all the other band members talking about the one band member that was absent. So it'd be kind of like, oh yeah, monkey, what a great guitarist, you know, Fieldy's like, oh yeah, great <laughs> guitarist heads like, oh yeah, monkey, what a great partner to do that, you know, and then Fieldy's just like, well, being in corn's pretty awesome. Cause the best singer in the world is in my band. And I was like, holy <laughs> shit. But I literally feel like that Fred Durst was just like, yeah, you know, maybe I'm not the best singer in the world. Maybe I'm not the best rapper in the world, but my band is the best in the world and we can have whoever we want on this fucking thing. We're going to we're going to kill it. Right. And I, you know, at, at the time, at the time, lyrics meant everything to me. Sure. And like, I think at the time I actually thought these were good lyrics. I was not a smart kid, <laughs> but like at the time. I think I thought these were very good lyrics, but the Brett actually he's he doesn't know a single lyric to any of these songs, and he listened to this album probably just as much as I did. Wow! And I think there are people who just don't like care at yeah. all. Yeah, as long as it sounds good, they're just like right on, man. I'm I'm into it. I'm you know? I'm definitely like that. Like I don't because I'm a drummer. So for me, when I listen to music, I hear the rhythm section above everything else. So I think that I don't really like, obviously I like lyrics. I love to sing along to songs and it's great. But for me, like lyrical content is never a reason to dislike something for me. Like if I don't like the way they sing or I, or I don't like like, or they're a clunky rapper or like whatever, I won't like it on that basis, but I'll never like, I have a good friend who, when I used to play in bands, he was the singer in my band and he's a guitar player. And for him, he'll be like, well, the lyrics are terrible, so I can't get into this record. And for me, that is not, I don't even think about that. Like, I think well, about it in the context of this podcast, because when you read the lyrics, they're absolutely insanely terrible. But like, I ne- but it never, it would never affect my enjoyment of a song to be like, oh, well, these lyrics aren't very interesting or like whatever you say. I don't know. Right. And it is like, now I appreciate them in a different way in that, like, they're lazy. 
and I that's my favorite <laughs> kind of writing now. You know, I work very hard on on what me and Brett say on stage. You know, like yeah, and I know you work very hard, like instruct, like constructing how things are going to come out perfectly. But the thing that I enjoy the most is kind of badly written movies and books and and TV. Like, that's what I like. I get the most out of badly written stuff. And, like, seeing this, listening to this album again, and, and like, I'll I'll give you one of the lyrics I wrote down. Uh, um, Where's it at? Maybe Freddy Krueger will step into your dream and burn you like a demon is... The worst thing I've ever heard in a song, especially when he tries positive, especially when he tries to rhyme it with uh, what song is that from again? That is from trust trust. (laughs) Yes, that's right. Trust one of the worst songs on the album. And he I love the way he he rhymes it with. uh, Yeah, maybe Freddy Krueger will step into your dream and burn you like a demon and leave (laughs) your ass screaming. Yes, that is the worst thing. It's that's, so, that, it's so bad. My daughter could have written that five years ago. She, When she was eight, she could have written that. Also, I would, I would say this. Uh, it occurred to me while listening to this album this time that uh, there's like a pretty good amount of filler. On oh, this there one, is. For sure. Which is there wild. Is. Like, I, I, I like it. I think I like pretty much all the songs. Uh but I think there's a lot of like really unnecessary stuff and there's stuff that like I didn't even remember. Me was too. A thing. That was a big thing for me. Like I, I remember because back in those days, I never I was never obsessed with like, oh, I got to listen to the whole album front to back and every song has to be good. Like, pardon me. Back in those days, I didn't really care. Like if I didn't like a song, I'd skip it every single time. So pardon me. It was funny coming to this album and realizing like, huh, have I like ever even listened to this song? You know, like, uh, <laughs> like no sex. Don't go off wandering. Those are like two songs that like, I, I may as well have been hearing for the first time today. Whereas like, That's other, how- whereas other ones, like I know every single word, every single note I'm with it all the way. Uh, but yeah, for some reason there's just, yeah, there was like a couple songs where I was like, Oh, I guess I just literally every time I listen to this album as a kid, I skip that song and I don't, I barely know it. Right. But then here's the thing. Those are the two songs that I, I thought right away. Cause I knew show me what you got. And, and I'm going to tell you why, because any song that mentioned Jacksonville for some reason, <laughs> I just loved it. And of course, that's the first town Fred hypes. And where are you at, Jacksonville, Charlotte, the, Louisville? God, I hate myself. One of the most embarrassing things I've ever done in my short career as an entertainer is in Jacksonville two months ago, going on stage and saying, Jacksonville's on the map. Look us up. Raising eyebrows with the Jaguars, kid. Better watch out. Line them up, cheetah. And I said that, and I've never been more embarrassed in my life because. And then, like the other song, I then at the end of the show, I was like, "Where you at, Jacksonville, Rochester, Louisville?" Like I couldn't stop bringing up Limp Biscuit while I was there. I love respect you so much, man. I love that. Well, you know, they didn't love Limp Biscuit there, and I assume it's because. I don't know that every person that comes through there mentions Limp Biscuit, but I just assume be. that they do. It must it's be awesome. Yeah, but but there is there are a couple songs on here. I think like 
basically, like, if I had to pick the best song that's ever been written in my life, <laughs> like, I'm serious about this. This isn't hyperbole. It is my favorite song ever. And I think it's great. And I think it's like underappreciated. I, I think rearranged is a very good fucking song. Well, dude, like <laughs> it's funny when you tweeted that because I and this is part of why we started this project together. Um, and you tweeted this not that long ago, like it was long after we decided to do this together. But I just you it was like you were speaking directly to my heart because I just like the number of times I've said to people like, no, Limp Bizkit is good. And they're like, no, they're not. And I'm like, you listen to Rearranged and tell me that they're not good. I mean, this song is so good. I mean, it's so good. Like I, I have like, there are maybe 10 songs in the world where like when a certain part in the song hits, it's like an endorphin rush. It's like, you feel that like it just, there's something it it just, it, it feels good no matter what mood I'm in. That for me is like that end part of rearranged where it like builds up into the like level with me. You kept fucking like when it gets into that part, I am on full tilt. Like I don't care what we're doing. I am ready to explode. Like I love it. I don't know what (laughs) it is, but it just that part every time you think that everybody's not everyone's like you. Yeah. Not everyone is like you, you, you know, like I just, Oh, there's just something about it. It gets me. And I think you you might have even tweeted this like the first the six song run after if you don't count intro the six song run to start this album is unbelievable like it's truly so good and it's such a 1999 track list where it's like let's take the six best songs they're the first six and then whatever happens after that who cares oh Fred you want to write a song so that girls flash you at shows yeah sure track 13 whatever you have that no problem did 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 your ex-girlfriend leave you for another woman yeah sure we're gonna get to that because the news article i have is insane and fred dismisses his ex for being bisexual it's super weird but that's like what those songs are about it's very strange but the that six song like just like this nookie break stuff rearranged i'm broke nobody like you unbelievable like what a fucking run of songs for this genre nobody Nobody like you is something that I fr- I totally forgot about that song. Oh, that until- opening riff is unreal. Yeah. I love it. I, I love that's one that like really got me. And you know, I- Jonathan Davis is in it. Of course, I-, I love it when those guys are together. But uh, I I really think that like uh, with with rearranged, it has all it has pretty good lyrics. They're not the worst. They're in not the, world. the worst. Yep. The music is pretty good. Like it's really good. It's like, really I like good. that bass line. The bass line is incredible. Like it doesn't sound like anything else ever made. And then, and then at the end, it's corny as hell, which we need in a Limp Biscuit song when he said, just think about it. Dun, You'll dun, dun. get it. <laughs> like, just putting that corny part in yep. it like it wouldn't be a limp biscuit song no. if it didn't have you'll get it at the end of it like you just i just imagine them sitting in the studio fred's like do it cutting his vocal take and then he's just like he gets to the like i almost can feel it, the wheels turning around in his head being like are people gonna understand i'm doing a serious song right now hmm, maybe i should say something at the end so people know that i'm being serious Hey, think about it. You'll get it. 
And then they all, and then five guys who all presumably care about this band and Terry date, who's being paid likely hundreds of thousands of dollars to produce this record, or at least tens of thousands, all were like, yeah, that stays in that stays in for sure. We're keeping it. And this is one thing I noticed listening back to this album, which I think I never really thought about because I always skipped it. Almost every song has some stupid ass weird outro. Like what? Like that don't connect to the song at all. Like I remember when Kendrick Lamar, when, uh, um, when, uh, um, blacker than a butterfly, is that the name of it? Uh, or no, the butterfly butterfly. Yeah. That's it. To pimp a butterfly blacker, the berry. That's why I was getting the two of them mixed up. To Pimp a Butterfly came out and people were like, oh, these are like every song's like four different songs that Limp Bizkit invented that they right. invented that well, on Significant Other. That's Kendrick Lamar was biting Limp Bizkit because all of these songs, it's like there'll be some amazing like you'll be so hyped up and it'll have like and it'll have a perfect finish too. like it'll be like da 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 da. I have a theory. And you're like, what is what is going on right now? What the song ended perfectly. What's your theory? You hire a guy from House of Pain, an already <laughs> famous guy, DJ Lethal. You gotta let him do some stuff. Like, he can't just be the guy going choo, 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 behind the guitars the whole time. And they were just like, look, this guy's famous. We gotta fucking let him do some stuff. I need someone and, uh, to uh, isolate your impression of a record scratch and put it into a song that has record scratch. <laughs> You're like, also chewy, say chewy, this, chewy. I, I can tell you a funny story real quick about DJ. Yeah, Lethal. yeah, please. Uh, two years ago, Somebody asked me and Brett to perform at a thing called the um, the Electric Canna Carnival, and it was a cannabis carnival in Michigan, and uh, they had a big section where you could get all the weed. They 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 were selling weed, but it was only medic medical marijuana there. But uh, you could get in the weed section if you had an artist laminate, which I guess is basically the same thing as a medical card. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's got your picture but, on it. It's laminated. <laughs> yeah. So we we were in there like shopping. Anyway, we went there and we got like five hundred dollars worth of weed, and uh, we performed on stage. And uh, nobody shows up to this fucking thing. And it's at like a speedway, like oh, a, a hell fucking yeah motor speedway it's enormous this place and maybe 30 people show up there are carnival rides where these carnies are just standing by them looking miserable because there's nobody on the carnival rides because there's nobody at the thing and uh the guy that was putting it on stopped writing checks about halfway through the weekend (laughs) so they took the stage away and DJ Lethal was performing. He had to perform just standing on the ground oh while a guy God. played drums on a garbage can next to him <laughs> in front of a trailer because they took the stage away. And this is a guy who worked with the two greatest visionaries in rock and roll, Everlast and Fred Durst. <laughs> I never. Fa- I, we got the fuck out of there. We were like, it looks like some weird stuff's gonna come go on here. I think it's just time. We knew we weren't gonna get cut a check for sure. Yeah, but we we had gotten so much free weed that we were like, let's just fucking leave. It doesn't matter. We'll just go home. But yeah, got to see DJ Lethal just standing on the ground as these guys like 
packed up their stage because they weren't getting paid anymore. It was an incredible experience. Oh, man, I love it. Um, <laughs> so we're going to move on to a segment where we, we are going to talk about uh, uh, an article. We, the, the whole point uh, that we'd like to do, uh, the whole point we'd like to do, that's a great thing, a great sentence to speak. The whole reason we'd like to do this is to, again, show what was going on at the time. And, and, and for every album, we're going to try and find a weird news article from around that time period. And this is not so much weird uh, because it's Spin. It's the August 1999 uh, edition of Spin, of which Limp Biscuit is on the cover. And the, the, title of the, the title of the article, Brian, I'll give you a guess. What do you think an article about Limp Biscuit's uh, rise to fame might be called? Here's the first thing I want to say. Spin is the thinking man's Rolling Stone. Correct. So it is actually the more intelligent magazine. True. Um, uh, is it something about them being like anything but limp? No, well, I mean, that's like good. That? That's good. No, it's a, it's a, it's a pun for sure. Uh, the title of the article is How to Succeed in Business. Ah, oh, fuck. I hate that even worse than the other yeah. one I came up with. <laughs> Much worse. Uh, the lead of the article is, uh, so it's how to succeed in business by really, really trying. Limb Biscuit leader Fred Durst wants to be rap metal's first masterpiece style mogul, even if that means kicking it with Jesse Camp and Pauly Shore. Uh, and this he is, is that. He, he by is. By the way, he got to be that. He did. And it's so funny because... This is an article from 1999 and it's talking about the Nookie video and it talks about how Pauly Shore was there and this is how they describe it. Remarkably enough and alive and kicking Pauly Shore. <laughs> In 1999! We're 20 years later and Stefan and I are ordering cameos from Pauly Shore going, he's still alive? And it's comforting to know that 20 years ago people were like, is Pauly Shore still alive? I mean, I guess he did make an entire movie about that uh, called Pauly Shore is not dead, but still, I mean, I just, that really stuck out, but there are some great, I mean, there's some great shit in here. Um, so uh, this is a, a quote from, from Fred Durst. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it talks about how he's the leader of Limp Bizkit, but the thing is he just wants so much more. He set his sights on being alt rocks, first masterpiece style mogul. One for whom making hit records is just a stepping stone to a multimedia empire. Echoing what Leonardo da Vinci must have said at least once, he declares, yo, people who think I'm just all about one thing are fucking missing the whole fucking point. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to say this and people are going to think this is bullshit and I'm, I'm being a smart ass and I'm being ironic, but he did find stain and puddle of mud and I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. I like Puddle of Mud and I like Stained. So. <laughs> yeah, so good. That's a mogul. I mean, I don't, I don't think, as Fred Durst said about Puddle of Mud, that their lead singer was the next Kurt Cobain. <laughs> but I don't think they're also, like, that bad. No, you know? yeah. I mean, when Lil Romeo came out, people were like, hey, he's the next. <laughs> yes. He's the next and Tupac. And then people kind of forgot about that. He's made two movies. Yep. Now, I know I just read today that his new movie made $3,000 in its first weekend. Hell yeah. But that doesn't mean I want to see it. No. You know, I'm going to see that damn movie of course. with John Travolta in it. Yeah, absolutely. So there's just so many great little lines here. This one is another one. Uh, an excitable dreamer who comes off much. So this is the other thing I love about this piece is that this is completely straightforward. Like I love in 2019, it's impossible to imagine that Limp Biscuit were written about in like a serious 
profile piece. Like it seems almost impossible to imagine. Uh, but that's this whole thing is like really straight ahead, straight faced, like Limp Biscuit are great. Fred Durst is a visionary. Here we go. Uh, so yeah, this is uh, an excitable dreamer. They're talking about Fred who comes off as much younger than his 28 years. He's the kind of guy who will suddenly declare that he's just thought up a quote million dollar idea. Then grab a napkin to take down notes about a quote heavy rock meets hardcore rap. We are the world type record for charity. Yes, yeah, that is a genius idea, though. I will. Say. Of course, a super. But I think it would have probably been a ridiculously offensive song that they wrote. 100%. And then I'll, 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 I'll <laughs> for sure. Like, look at All in the Family. You get that's what they thought All in the Family. All in the fa- that's what they thought it was going to be. And then they started insulting each other. And they're like, oh, we probably can't give this money to sick children. <laughs> but yeah, it is. It's wild. like the whole article is wild. And, and we're, we're getting close to the end here. So I don't want to go too crazy. But there was one part I loved. And I know you wanted to talk about it because you have conflicting feelings about West Borland. Um, but this is really funny uh, there. So they're asking about. Uh, so West Borland earlier in the article is talking about how like he doesn't even really like listen to the music that these guys listen to. And Fred's quote is Wes is cool, but we have different tastes. I just couldn't even deal with him at one point before the band was signed. Durst kicked him out for a while, but soon realized that there wasn't as anyone as good as him who I liked as much. So now he's the guy who makes us listen to ween on the tour bus. Oh, poor guy. I know, See, right? That sucks. Uh, here's what I think about Westboard. Okay. I'm not, I haven't got to the quote. Let me read the okay, quote. Uh, okay. That was just one, but this is, this is, I think is perfect uh, to set you up for West Borland. Uh, and then we'll wrap up this here show. Uh, so this is uh, the band's disparate personalities are conveyed by their answers to the chestnut. Where will you be in 10 years from now? Sam rivers in a big old mansion in the Caribbean, John Otto in two mansions, one in the Caribbean and one in Hawaii, DJ lethal making beats, Fred Durst at between 10 and 20 million units sold West Borland, probably not in the band. <laughs> okay. First of all, okay. okay I'm going to say West Borland best answer there. Yeah, now, of course. I, I, I think here's the thing about West Borland is uh, he sucks. Like, I mean, he's good and Limp Bizkit, Whoa. but I've listened to big dumb face and I thought it sucked. Okay. Like I was like, oh, this stinks. Okay, you know but what I that mean? doesn't mean Wes sucks, though. Well, I think he seems like an asshole, too. You know? Like, I, I hate this idea. There is a thing with me that I think you should kind of... You can complain. I complain on my show, obviously. And you can complain all you want. But you, you should, like, not give the impression that you're, like, just up there getting a paycheck and and uh that you don't really give a shit about what you're doing like i i I think it's such like a dick thing to do and uh i also think that like he was he should be so glad that he was in limp biscuit because everything else he did stunk and nobody liked it. True. You know? <laughs> no, no. And I, I, okay. I agree with you on that. And he does say like in, in other, in another area of the article, I'm not sure if I can find it, but he was talking about how, like when he met Fred, he knew that it was like, he was like, Oh, I'd been in a bunch of bands with a bunch of other people. But when I met Fred, like that's when I knew like, no, he's like the real deal and we're like a real band. And this is like, this is the guy I want to be worth. Oh yeah. He, uh, this is, uh, 
Guitarist Borland was fronting another local group, but quit after seeing Durst on stage. He was fucking awesome, he says. I'd never really seen someone sing rap like that. And so you know, I think like, so it, it is weird because like I say, I'm a bit conflicted because I really do feel like Wes is the best new metal guitarist. And I, I honestly don't think it's close. I mean, I think even just riff wise, like if you think of like iconic riffs in new metal, they're all wet. Like so many of them are Wes's. It's like Steph Carpenter has a couple uh, you know, fieldy or sorry, monkey and head have a couple, but like, it's really, the, it's really about the songs with like corn and Deftones and Lincoln park and other bands. It's about the songs. It's not about the players. Whereas like, I feel like limp biscuit was about the players. Like John Otto has some super memorable parts. He's got a drum solo and nobody like you. Uh, he's got a drum solo at the start of my generation. Sam rivers has the rearranged bass riff which our own producer Daniel has admitted that's the first thing he plays when he picks up a bass. Like it's such an iconic. And then Wes, I just feel like his riffs pop in a way that no other new metal riffs pop. So like, I think I agree with you. It's like the don't bite the hand that feeds you. And when people love you, it is shitty to be like, yeah, I hate the thing I do. Like it doesn't ingratiate you to the people. People are not like, Oh, I want to cheer for this guy now, you know? Um, but at the same, I think that's why, people didn't buy his shit like i think that's like he released those albums and like people were just like i'm not gonna give this shit a chance fuck this guy right you know and like i I, i'm it's not even like a because i you know you can get frustrated with what you're doing it it has nothing to do like i i get frustrated with i get frustrated with street fight at times and like you know we we get me and brett can sometimes butt heads about shit but like it's it's something that like you would never hear us talk about something like that publicly right you know and like i think i think it like makes you feel better like i everybody else had tact when it came to this kind of thing right like chino from the deftones jonathan davis jonathan davis for instance would just be like oh you know i really like duran duran and the cure and you know faith no more and he would like name things that he liked that weren't new metal whereas this guy just was like i don't like new metal i don't like being in this band right you know and it made me feel like a dork for listening to it in a way i think at the time not now it's like well i understand you know the guy's got to collect a paycheck he's got to collect money but i I do think at the time it was kind of like, oh, well, you know, fuck me then, I guess. I'm, I'm a dumbass <laughs> that likes this dumb shit. Well, I think know? like it's like what you were saying, though. I think New Metal did have it was like essentially contrarian to listen to it. So I do I do agree with you in that it sucks when your argument can be instantly defeated when you're like Limp Bizkit rules and then someone goes, well, like a guy who was in Limp Bizkit doesn't like Limp Bizkit. <laughs> What do you even say to that? You're just like, yeah, I guess. Hey, I guess you're right. Yeah. He's made millions of dollars off of this band. Probably uh, unquestionable number of of women and cool experiences. And he's like, yeah, this shit sucks. I do also. I do like the honesty, though. Like part of me is like, yeah, I mean, it's cool to just go out there and say, like, as an entertainer, I wouldn't do what he did. But as a fan, it's like really cool like just see like or 
maybe it's the other way around. Like as a fan, I didn't like what he did. As an entertainer, it's really cool to see a guy just come out and let everybody know how he feels. Oh, totally. <laughs> you know what I mean, yeah. Like I think I get that way with athletes sometimes. Like I remember like uh, Keith Fulke, the he was like a closer for the Boston Red Sox for quite a while, and for a while was considered like one of the best closers in the majors. Like actively was like, yeah, I hate baseball. Like I don't like it. He's like, I'm a closer. I come in in the ninth inning. I do not watch the game. I, he's like, I get into the bullpen in like the sixth inning after sitting in the clubhouse for the first six innings and not watching the game. Then I throw my pitches and get ready. Then I come in. He's like, I love hockey. I wish I was good at it. I would way rather be a professional hockey player. And like in some ways you're like, yeah, okay, I could get that. I could get like the grind of this, like wearing you down, you know, but, at the, but also, yeah, I, I, I totally, I think what you're saying is accurate that it's like, you want to believe that everybody's doing something for the best possible reasons. And if someone's doing it for reasons that don't align with what you hope or what you would assume, then it's disappointing in some ways. Right. And, and I also, yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's the perfect way to say it. you, you summed it up perfectly for beautiful. Me. I love when I sum things up and speaking of summing things up, let's sum up this album. So what we're going to do is, uh, to, to end off, um, our, our talk of the album, uh, we're going to review it and we don't want to give it a kind of traditional, you know, Oh, five stars, whatever. Uh, the way we're going to review every album is if someone tweeted at one of us, Hey, significant other sucks. How many tweets would we argue with them before we gave up? So like how many tweets deep would we go to be like, no, this album is good and try to convince them it's good. And that could be any number from zero to infinity. Um, so Brian, you can go first. Uh, if someone tweeted at you, like you had your, your tweet about rearranged. If someone tweeted at you and told you significant other sucks, how many times would you tweet back at them? All right, here's the deal. I don't defend my points very often. And, uh, this may sound like a low number, but this is actually a very high number. I would probably go back and forth five times, which wow. is like, I usually give up after three. It's like, fuck it. I don't give a shit anymore. Yep. You know, like I stopped caring, but uh, for this album, I, I, I'll go to the mat for it. I, I, I nobody really makes perfect. There's not a lot of perfect albums. Like, I, I think I said this today. The only perfect albums are like the first four Marilyn Manson. Like, <laughs> yeah. LPs. Like, that's it. But, like, no, nothing's perfect. But as we said earlier, from track one to track seven, it, nothing, like, it's great. But then even after that, nothing's that bad. Nothing's, like, offensive. No, yeah, you know? yeah. No, for sure. I agree. Um, so I would say that um, if it was the guy who reviewed the uh annotations on genius i would argue with them to infinity because uh if you want so as i said check out that spin article from august 1999 and then if there's another limp biscuit thing you'd like to check out may i direct you to genius.com uh and to limp biscuits significant other on genius because there is someone on genius there's only one guy who's making any annotations on the limp biscuit record and this is a sample of it. This is from the song Trust that earlier we said we didn't like, and I'm standing by that. It's Trust question mark. Okay. So that obviously gives you a sense right away from the title <laughs> what the song is about. The first three things Fred says in the song 
there's like a little bit of there's kind of just like a a, a sort of noodly guitar part and a and a drum just a hi-hat and fred goes backstabbers and then someone in the back goes backstabbers two-faced low lifes these three words are highlighted suggesting that there's a genius note about them this is from new metal tigers who has done all of the annotations on all of these reviews he wrote fred is pointing out the people you should not trust (laughs) <laughs> yes backstabbers and two-faced lowlifes brian do not i know you have a th- I, I know you have a thing them. for two-faced lowlifes my friend but stay away <laughs> from them so as that guy I would argue to infinity but to answer the question seriously um i i honestly think i mean i'm a bit more of a twitter arguer than you are um i i think here's what i'll say i will i would go seven but if someone is specifically calling into question rearranged, I'll go 10. Uh, right, right. So if, and if and part of the argument, some. if part of the argument is like, I say no, but listen to rearranged and they go, that's a shitty song. Well, then we've got a real debate on our hands. If somebody says rearranged sucks, I'll ask them what they're, what city they're from. <laughs> and I will never do a live show <laughs> in that city again. Number one. And number two, uh, I would probably go 15 deep with that guy who said that Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold were probably <laughs> would have been Limp Biscuit fans. 15 to him Respect. from Entertainment Weekly. Okay. Respect. Well, he might be dead, Brian. So you may, <laughs> it could be cool. Good. I say good to that. Uh, all right. We are going to finish this episode the way we are going to finish all of our episodes. And that is with the challenge. Uh, and so what we're going to do is, is every episode we are going to self-impose a challenge on ourselves. Uh, and then you can vote after the episode is over. We'll put up a tweet, uh, a poll tweet, and you guys can vote on who handled the challenge better. Uh, and the challenge will obviously be related to the album. So Brian, you came up with this challenge and I think it's great. Uh, so for Limp Biscuit, our significant other challenge uh, for those of you who made it all the way to the end of Significant Other, you may recognize a voice, and that is uh, the voice of MTV VJ, Matt Pinfield, uh, who at the time, one of the biggest VJs on the program, so much so that he was given his own show on MTV called Farm Club, uh, which Limp Bizkit performed on the very first episode of. And uh, at the end of the album, he's ranting. He goes on a big rant, and we're not going to play clips from the albums too often, but our producer, Dan, is going to insert the clip of the rant right here. Um, and so it's just like a minute and a half long. And this is Matt Pinfield talking about this Limp Biscuit record. Hey, it's the bald man. And I'm here to tell you why the new Limp Biscuit album is so important. That's because CDs like this one spare you from all the chart topping, teeny bobbing, disposable, happy horseshit that brings up the bile from the back of my neck. I have no time or tolerance for all shitty whack acts like that. I wouldn't piss on their CDs to put out a fire. Now, I'm tired of all those lame-ass, team-ass, prefabricated, sorry excuses for singers and musicians who don't even write their own songs. What the world needs now is a musical revolution. We need some rock. We need something that has balls. We need something with substance, depth, something with soul, some edge, some passion, some power. Shit, if it's going to be mellow, fuck, man, it better have something. It better mean something. I'm telling you, you gotta hit them with something hard. You gotta stick them with something limp, like Limp Biscuit. 
I'm so fucking tired of the shit that I'm hearing on the radio. Radio sucks. The same fucking songs over and over again. All the weak ones, all that disposable crap that isn't going to matter in three months. It's just shit. It's crap, Fred. Fred, I'm telling you, there's nothing but shit going on and we need some new music. What about Limp Bizkit? Limp Bizkit is fucking cool. You guys are cool. The new record's great. But fuck all that other shit. I'm so sick of all that weak shit that's yeah, taking up down. space on the up? charts. Fuck that shit, bro. I'm out of here. Fuck, dude. Fucking Pinfield is pissed. Oh, man. I gotta go find that bald bastard. Okay, so you've heard Matt Pinfield's end of the record rant. The challenge for myself and my main man, Brian Quinby here, is we have to do our own Matt Pinfield rant. Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first? Okay, I'm gonna, I, I want to go first because okay. this makes me nervous. I want to just say this right off the bat. I, rants are the worst thing in the world. Literally, <laughs> there's nothing worse on this planet than rants i I, like i don't mind like i don't like roasts either but like if a comedian is like this comedian like does rants i'm like i would just rather not see this person ever (laughs) so i'm gonna give this a shot it's not what i'm good at i didn't write anything down i didn't write anything down either and uh i've been thinking about it and let's see if i can make something happen here i got faith in you baby All right, here it goes. Hey, it's the B-Man here. I've been listening to a lot of this, like, chicken shit, bullcrap music about loving your girlfriend and stuff like that. Well, you need to listen to Significant Other by Limp Biscuit. It's about having sex but not really fucking liking it, man. And I'm tired of this teeny bopper shit they play on the radio, on your, on your, on your dial. It's bullshit. Vote for me. Vote for Lip Biscuit for TRL, and uh, that is about as good as I'm gonna get. There. <laughs> that was good. I like when you called yourself the B Man at the start. Well, I yeah. If you're doing a rant, he starts out by saying, "Hey, it's the bald man here." And yeah, yeah, you're right. You're that's right. very embarrassing to me. <laughs> <laughs> I thought he was the coolest guy in the world. By the way, oh Can yeah. I just say that like. At the at, when I was like younger, I was like, I wish I was Matt Penfield to the point where I read the liner notes on every album I bought so that I knew who they thanked on the albums because that was some shit he knew. So there you go. There you go. Much respect. All right. Hey, everyone. This is your main man, JC, with the beard. You all know me, and you all know what this record is. It's Slim Biscuit. And you know what I don't have time for? One of the members of this band said he didn't like this record. That's bullshit. You want to play guitar on a record? You want to say that you like it? You got to put up with that shit. You got to say, hey, I was a part of this and I'm fucking proud to be a part of it. All these little chicken shit bitches recording albums coming out after and saying, hey, no, I, I really, I really didn't even like this record that I was a part of. No. What happened to believing in music? That's what it's all about. You believe in this shit. Big, dumb face. I don't believe in that either. And I happen to think it's also an apt description for you, Wes Borland. So it's time to own up. You came up with some of the greatest new metal riffs of all time. And that's okay. It's okay to be the best at something that people don't like. So you know what to do. Put your big boy pants on. 
claim this shit for what it really was and embrace it. And we'll see you all on the Limp Biscuit Cruise 2020, Jacksonville, Florida to the Bahamas. It's going to be great. Is Jacksonville even oh, on the water? Real, I'll, I'll try to get there. <laughs> there was a Limp Biscuit Cruise uh, like one or two years ago. Um, cause yeah, cause Wes did another round of like, yeah, I don't know if I'm going on the cruise. I kind of like hate that I was in this band, uh, around that time. So, and I, I have to say that yours was better than mine. <laughs> I'm going to vote for yours, but we'll see. We'll see what the listeners say. Hey man, I, I think they, they definitely know of your need to be liked. And I hope that they take That's that true. into consideration when they vote in the poll. Yeah, please do. Please, please. I have very thin skin. Okay. Yes. Uh, thank you everyone for tuning in to the very first episode of the POD cast. We hope you like it. Uh, we're going to be back once a month, every month to describe, to talk about, to, to embrace or even reject. I'm sure we're going to get to some albums. We don't like, uh, all of the albums in the new metal canon. next month. We are going with uh corn's self-titled record. Uh, the one that uh, a lot of people claim launched a new metal. Uh, so if you liked this, tell your friends, follow us on Twitter at the POD underscore cast. And that's cast with a K like the band corn. We're not one of those loser podcasts that spells it with a C. We're a badass podcast. And also um, the T it's lowercase, but it's backwards. You may not know that, but uh they're the same forwards and backwards, but <laughs> I mean, that's even like our other podcasts are fucking loser podcasts. It's true with a C. It's true. You know, Su- fuck those guys. Super. You know? Yeah, exactly. Blocked parties should be all K's. Blocked should have 40 K's in the middle of it. Uh, <laughs> party. The street R fight doesn't. The R and party should be backwards. We, yeah. The R and street fight should be backwards. And I apologize to everybody for not ever doing it. <laughs> thank you. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, Tell your friends and we'll see you back here in a month. Thanks for listening to the POD cast.